Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning once again, everyone, here on the 22nd of July. It is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. Carmen is away for one more day. She'll be back in the saddle tomorrow, as it were. And she's uh, emerged, as we know, Paul Perot from the wilderness. John she the Baptist has emerged. Style. She's I, back on the grid. I'm guessing that she had a bit of locusts and honey while she was in the wilderness <laughs> and coming out as the prophetess that she is. And very excited to see her back in the host chair again tomorrow morning. And she might uh, be listening and shaking her head. She, right I, I'm sure she, she does. She, it does shake her head at me quite often, which is we all do, way, yes. understandably <laughs> so, but uh, so delighted to be with all of you here for this last hour of this show. It's such a fun first hour. If you missed it, head back to the podcast on MyFaithRadio.com, and especially this last conversation that we had about how the Bible and community life and working together as believers really does impact our flourishing. Well, up first in this hour, we're going to talk a little bit about Christian history. And Paul, I admit that I'm kind of a rube when it comes uh, to Christian history. And actually, in my classes, we talk a little bit about how we think about God mm-hmm. or how we think about other people, how we think about this world. And so often, how we think about those categories of things is a direct result of something within history, probably right. unknown in our lives, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, so we have a fun time sometimes doing work in class and saying, so... I think this way about God. What what would be the origin of that thinking? Can we trace it backwards right. in history? And so, for example, we live in a time in which a lot of believers, and rightly so, will say we do it all for the glory of God, or we give God the glory, or a football player will score a touchdown and will point up to the heavens mm-hmm. and say to God be the glory. And yes, to God be the glory. But I think one of the reasons why that particular dimension of the kingdom is so pervasive among us is the origin of that is about 1550 in Scotland. They held a symposium. Uh, this is part of the Reformation. And they developed this catechism. Luther did, Martin Luther did. Mm-hmm. And some of our, our people that are with us this morning, I'm sure, know that catechism. And, uh, and, and it starts with the chief end of man is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. And, and it's the mm-hmm. first statement. And so it, it was how uh, young people were trained, even from the 1500s, right. to say your whole life is for the glory of God. So this got emphasized out of all of the scriptures. That was sort of the origin of that thinking. It doesn't mean we don't glorify God. It's just the origin of it. Or one more quick example that I find interesting, too, is that uh, many of us are familiar with the ambassadors or navigators or Awana, right, some yes, of these Bible yes, yes. programs. And so some of the reason why we know maybe Romans 3.23 or Romans 6.23, uh, maybe John 3.16, these were organizations that pulled these scriptures out and decided to highlight and emphasize them on behalf of the gospel. Now, they are absolutely unbelievably important scriptures, but I find it intriguing that sometimes we don't really know what John 3.14 or 15 or 17 or 18 says. We don't know the rest of the book of Romans, so we sometimes pull them out of context and use them. Right. And I love that idea of looking back in history. It doesn't diminish the importance of how we think now, but it does say, hmm, 
maybe I'm missing a few things about the kingdom, too. And what else uh, could I be missing? And when you go back through history, you find some of this stuff. That's right. And and Axiomatic, we talked on Monday. One of the people I talked with was John Dixon, and he was going through church history, talking about his book is called Bullies and Saints. And yeah, yeah, okay, what were some of the traces and the elements that, uh, what did God give us first? What did Jesus give us as those, as he likes to put it, melodic um, themes that we're supposed to carry? When did we do it well? When did we do it bad? How did that influence? And he does get deeper, if you read the book, into the history, the influences and such that caused a lot of this stuff to happen. And, you know, sometimes we do need to sit back and really think, okay, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Right. Am I truly getting this from Scripture? Am I truly getting this from God or am I getting this from this person who said this person who, you know, it, things get muddled. They can get muddled. Yeah, we just simply parodying back our favorite theologian and maybe don't know it. So that's, the reason for the conversation is our first guest coming up in just a minute. It's an interview I had a chance to record yesterday. His name is Michael Austin, and we talked quite a bit about a magazine that I think is really worth getting. It's called the Christian History Magazine from the Christian History Institute. And that magazine did a, a great issue, issue 139, t- titled Hallowed Halls, the Christian story of the university. So for those of you interested in history, this is a great interview coming up with Michael, and we talk a little bit about the importance of history in our faith. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen LaBridge will be back tomorrow from her four-day getaway in the mountains, doing some hiking and some needed time away with her husband, Jim. And I'm delighted to be joined at this time by Michael Austin. We're going to talk a little bit about Christian history and specifically even Christian history in, in terms of how it intersects with the university life. And boy, oh boy, pretty interesting topic to get into because universities, as we've seen them in the last 20, 30, 40 years, take additional prominence in our society, seem to maybe have been departing from their Christian rootedness. So good morning, Michael. Looking forward to this conversation. Good morning, Peter. Great to be with you. And thanks for that great introduction. You brought us in, onto the subject very well. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly, I think, is top of the mind for a lot of people that are part of the Faith Radio audience because uh, it, we have kids and we have grandkids that are, are being deeply impacted at very early ages by some professors who really do have you know quite a bit of um, intellectual bandwidth to impose upon young people and, and really can shape the way they think. So it's some, sometimes helpful to look back to the perspective of history to see how all of this got started and maybe where we departed from some of those things. But before that specific conversation, tell us a little bit about this ongoing journal called uh, Christian History Institute, the Christian History Magazine, this entire organization. I think it's an incredible resource for people. It is, and thank you for asking about the the history of the magazine itself. Um, It was started by a man named Ken Curtis. Ken Curtis was a producer of uh, a well-known Christian movie, The Cross on a Switchblade, the story of David Wilkerson, a New Jersey pastor that crossed the river into New York City in the late 60s, early 70s to minister to the gangbangers of the day. And that, that movie became a what's called a crossover movie in that those days in the 70s, um, we didn't have a, a balkanized media or movie industry that shunted off from Christian material into, you know, a, a restricted category. So that film became a well-known film and introduced uh, the Christian 
faith and also ministry to millions of Americans. But Ken was convicted that the Christians just don't know very much about the history of their own faith. And sadly, that is true. It continues to be true today. However, our faith is unique in that uh, history is a part of our faith. And uh, we Christians can uh, look back in history to identify individuals that have impacted the faith in very significant ways. Of course, um, our Savior, Jesus Christ, intervened in history and changed the history of the world. So our, our faith is uh, a part of history. We learn how the Bible has impacted civilization. In fact, the Western civilization uh, was founded upon biblical principles. So Ken Curtis was a history buff, and he was also a documentarian. That is, he was making films, uh, historical films, documents that chronicled the life and impact uh, uh, that individuals brought to the faith uh, in the church. And so uh, that began uh, the legacy of this, of this magazine. It's a quarterly, and it is um, available now uh, on the website Christian History magazine.org. The magazine was uh, distributed actually by Christianity Today for many, many years. Uh, However, about eight to ten years ago, that magazine took a a change of of direction, and um, the property, that is the magazine itself, came back to the original ministry, Christian History Institute. And so Ken Curtis and his son began to develop a, uh, a much more uh, thorough treatment of the historical record and the magazine. They produced uh, the website, ChristianHistoryMagazine.org, and uh, that has become the purpose of it, by the way, was to be a resource for the home and for the church. Mm. It has become a resource for schools and is now a part of the library computer input to um, colleges and universities around the world. Yeah, Michael, that's a great introduction to all of this. We're going to step away for just a minute and come back and then talk specifically about this issue, about the Christian story of the university. But I think it's really intriguing when you talk about the importance of history and how even schools and families are beginning to use it, too. I remember having sort of this stereotypical history professor in my seminary experience. He was, I think, 175 years old with the wild white hair, and he was my first class on history. And I'll tell you what, (laughs) When he opened up all of these different parts of our 2,000 years of church history and even prior, it brought me into a much bigger story and gave me such um, much more context for understanding events today. So I think that whole idea, if we're not students of history, we're doomed to repeat it. I, th- I think understanding our history is a great way to be able to see the way forward in so many of these complex issues. We're talking with Michael Austin this morning about the idea of history and church history, and specifically when we come back in just a moment, the Christian story of the university. Welcome back to the show. Having a conversation about history here for you history buffs that enjoy that topic. I can highly recommend the Christian History Institute, publisher of Christian History Magazine, as a place to go to find some really interesting topics issue after issue. And let's go. Let's talk a little bit, Michael, about the Christian story of the university, because for all of the 
ideas and secular ideas that seem to reign in most Christian institutions, uh, I'm sorry, uh, university institutions these days, but even increasingly Christian ones, uh, it hasn't always been that way. And in fact, some of our earliest institutions in our country were founded as divinity schools and people who are following Christian practices and, and principles, including places like Harvard uh, and Yale and others. So take us a little bit into sort of the founding story of these institutions, but then also I definitely want to talk about where we started departing from that. Well, the history of the university goes way back to the um, founding of a an organization in Bologna, Italy. This was in 1080. So that's a millennia ago, just about. And um, it started out being a institution where interested uh, people, uh, clergy as well as lay people, could learn more about fundamentally the law of the um, country in which they lived. In fact, uh, the the founder of this uh, institution in Bologna, Irenaeus, would gather students and basically teach them about Roman law. Now, in the in that time, law was very, very a very new concept, and a it became an institution in Western civilization founded on biblical principles that did not exist before this time. That that would be around uh, one thousand and going forward toward what we would refer to as the Reformation in around 1500. In in fact, uh, what we know of as liberal arts um, and other subjects weren't weren't really taught in that institution until around 1300. But the fundamental ideas are very interesting. In fact, that uh, University of Bologna was actually founded primarily by students. These were individuals who wanted to learn knowledge and, and, and information, of course, we, we know of today as a source of power <laughs> and, a, and a source of influence, great, great influence. That was just, that idea was just beginning at this time. So these students were actually hiring people to teach them. And in fact, the, the uh, abiding principle at the time was that this information was a gift of God and therefore should not be sold, should not be bought and sold. And so the students were actually giving what we would think of today as a love offering to uh, professors, uh, people who <clears throat> were knowledgeable, who uh, over time became professional uh, professors. That role didn't exist at the time, but they were they were given money voluntarily to educate students. So the University of Bologna grew in influence. Uh, other universities, such as the University of Paris um, and eventually Oxford and Cambridge, which we know today, became major institutions with uh, relationships with the uh, primarily the monarchy of the country in which they existed, um, and the Catholic Church, which was the um, established church of, the, of this era, and became what we know today as the university. Now, something that you brought up is, is very interesting, and what makes this issue so timely right now is that the uh, university in our age 
has decided that um, the Bible is not truth. In fact, they've decided that uh, truth cannot be known. There is no such thing as truth. And so the Bible has basically been thrown out of the university curriculum. And the perception is that the Christians are not the solution in life, but uh, the problem. And that's a, that's a crisis. That's a, a crisis in our faith and a crisis in our culture. Michael, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I think that's worth uh, paying attention to, that really one of the watershed moments uh, of how things changed in academia and the university related almost entirely to biblical skepticism or biblical criticism or, the, or sort of the idea that the, the Bible is not necessarily an inspired authority in our lives moving forward that can help shape our laws as a people, that can help shape help shape our morality as a family and, and just how we live our lives moving forward. Once the academics sort of got too smart for the Bible, as it were, um, it really began to change things and, and it, it reverted then to more of a liberal, humanistic kind of mindset. Would you say that was kind of when things really began to shift? Well, yes. And in fact, there's a shift going on in our current day now back to the, the truth that is taught in the Bible and the... Uh, uh, the subject of science, and we're finding that the creationists are starting to win out in the in the um, theater of the, the public information. Um, people are are turning back to the Bible. In fact, this, uh, there are more and more scientists today that are questioning uh, Darwinism, evolution, and these uh, atheistic sciences that. Um, are, are being uh, proven to be wrong time and time again. In fact, the uh, the, uh, the influence that those that Darwinism, uh, Darwin himself, and uh, uh, atheism, which um, uh, was became a part of the Marxist view, uh, is being challenged. And uh, so, this is just a, a fascinating time. I believe that we are looking at what uh, Christians refer to as the end times when things get turned upside down. The, the main thing I think to uh, the main takeaway is that history is very important for uh, people of faith today. In fact, the, the famous quote, if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeating its mistakes is, is being preached today in churches, uh, and the importance of uh, knowing history is so important. And that's why I'm such a fan of this magazine, because uh, it's great to have this magazine, which, by the way, is richly illustrated with uh, photography and artwork. It's well known for that. And it's uh, just a wonderful read. Most of the articles are written by professors in our uh, Christian colleges and universities. Uh, this is not uh, deep dive theology. This is uh, historical reminiscence and uh, education about how the faith has uh, shaped our culture and the importance of the Bible in our education. Uh, so it's a very easy read. I think that's really important. I so appreciate that you've brought this to our attention as a resource for everybody in the Faith Radio family to, to access. It's called, again, once again, Christian History Magazine from the Christian History Institute, an incredible place to get some of the issues. And if you haven't heard about it before, there are at least 139 issues that you can go backwards and read the history of Christian history from this magazine. Michael, thanks for taking the time and illuminating this topic for us. 
Great to be with you and your wonderful audience. God bless you. Now take a short break and do some bottom of the hour news and preview what's coming up in the last half of this hour for the 22nd of July. Well, great stuff from Breakpoint, as always, and looking forward to what's coming up here next in the last half of this hour. Paul, we're going to have Billy Ballinger join us. He is a songwriter, and boy, does he have a story to tell in terms of some of his background and what he all experienced, life in prison. He and his wife both going to prison as well, Mm. and some of the music that has come from this deep place of conversion, of change, and and just what he has to share about the gospel. It's going to be an exciting interview. I I, I hope, as you're listening, you get to understand God does change lives. You know, God really, that is... in the old cliche, God is in the business of changing lives, right? Mm-hmm. All it takes is for us to repent, turn around. Metanoia is the word in the Greek for repent, and Billy did just that, as I'm sure many of us know, and all of us have repented at some stage, and, and Billy's story should be quite inspirational here in the moments ahead. Paul urges us to rejoice in the Lord always, not just on paydays, good days, or birthdays, but rejoice in the Lord always. This is Max Locato. Rejoice in the Lord always? Yeah, right, mumbles the person from the hospital bed. How, sighs the unemployed dad, always? Questions the mother of the baby born with a disability. It's one thing to rejoice in the Lord when life is good, but when the odds are against you, it's not easy, but it is possible. Lay claim to the promise of God in Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Rejoice in the sovereignty of God. His throne is still occupied. His will is still perfect. Rejoice in the Lord always. God uses everything to accomplish His will. This is Max Locato. It's about 23 minutes before the top of the hour here. Our final interview for the day on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the rest of this day. Carmen again back in the chair tomorrow. And delighted to be joined by singer, songwriter Billy Ballinger this morning who released a recent song. It's a very powerful song called Tree and the Nails. I want to talk to him about that and even some of the backstory of Billy's life that would have fueled this song. But Billy, this song really is uh, making an impact. A lot of people are being moved by what you wrote here. Yeah, I just, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, how in the world? You, you just thank God for his favor, right, for just letting you deliver a song like this. I've got great people around me. And so, yeah, thanks, thank you for what you said. I'm just very appreciative of it. Yeah. It's uh, hard, hard to take any credit for something that God's using that way, you know. I'm just grateful. Indeed. Well, and, and I think the interesting thing about music is music has a capacity to move the soul in a way that just straight teaching right. can't do it. It has a really unique role in the kingdom. And sometimes songs that when they come out, you know, they're coming from a, a place inside of somebody, a journey they've walked and experience they have. And this sure seemed to sort of bubble up from inside of you and just kind of came out in music. Yes. Yeah, it did. In fact, um, I had the privilege of um, just the, the Lord blessed me with the opportunity to tour with Winter Jam uh, before the COVID um, shutdown had taken place. And so I'd met some wonderful people on that tour. One of them being a uh, building 429, Jason Roy, the lead singer from that band. And we just, myself and him and Jesse Garcia just developed a relationship. And I just said, look, I, and they, you know, got involved in helping me craft some songs and uh, for the next record. And, you know, I really loved the opportunity because everybody was interested in what, what I had on my heart. 
And one of the things was, is I just really felt like that we've spent so much time focusing on our failures. We needed to focus on what Jesus did. Because, I mean, it would when you focus on yourself, you're just going to see a bunch of mistakes all the time. But when we focus on what he did, we arise to a new place. And I wanted to be able to say that in the song. You know, recognize the fact that, yeah, we've all got challenges that we've all faced. But, man, God has done so much more for us that we don't have to wait to heaven to experience. He's not finished with us. He's not finished with it yet. While we're here on the earth, he's got stuff for us to do. But if you're all like, you know, for all the time focusing on our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, not realizing that he has chosen us, then, you know, you won't have any hope. You won't be fulfilling your purpose. So that's the reason that, it, you know, the, the lyrics in the song are the way that they are. The reason the song ends up the way that it is because he has chosen us and he doesn't look at the failure. Billy, are there some lines in the song that you, when you get to them as you're singing them or as you're writing them, just even some very specific moments in the song that you think, oh, gosh, this really just hits the heart of what I want to communicate here? Yeah, well, for one thing, for instance, uh, I did a lot of work uh, in the public school system, speaking, motivational speaking, taking some of my past story, and the Lord directed me to go to public schools and help help teenagers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers for over over a quarter million students I've had the privilege of, of sharing with. And man, their stories about their scars and different things that they face, that, that very first line, you know, what do I do with all these scars, really hit home with us because it was able a way to be able to recognize that. People have scars. They have these these wounds. But I wanted to see them go to a place where they didn't stay in that place where there, there, there could be healing for them. And I, I knew that God had provided this. And so when we get to the chorus of this song and it talks about you call me chosen, you call me loved, you don't see broken. Yeah, God knows he recognizes the fact that there's been hurts and pains in our life, but he's wanting to say, look, I am a miraculous miracle worker. I created you. I can heal you. So those stick out to me. And that seems to be what is what is resonating with people is that for every person, no matter what the background, man, I mean, we've all got mess. Some people know about it. Some people don't know about it, but it's it's all there. But Jesus is saying, don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that I said you're a winner. And that's what we wanted to do with this song. Yeah, I love that. We do all have a mess in our background, and we're going to get uh, even just a little bit. I know you've been very public with your story. We'll we'll talk a, a bit about that in just a minute. But I'm curious, as you're singing the song, and, and as an artist, you end up having to sing the song a lot of different times, a lot of different locations. Does it ever get old, Billy, or wrote, or, or do you, are you able to enter into that space in, in this place of worship? How does that go, being a singer-songwriter that is singing this on such a regular basis? Uh, I, I would just have to say, it this does not get old. I'm just the type of a person... You know, and as we're going to talk about here in just a second about my past, I'm so grateful to be alive right now mm. and thankful that I have hope in my life. You know, the Bible says where there's no hope, uh, the heart will be sick. I think that biblically speaking, this is the reason for depression. But when Christ Jesus comes in with hope, and I have that now, you know, I have a hope for my future, I have a hope for today. I know that God's got something for me to do. So every time I get to be a part of writing a song, recording it, singing it, ministering through it, sharing sharing the message of hope through that. I just, I don't know. I just haven't had that that experience of, of it getting old. You know what I'm saying? It's I do. just like, man, it's fresh and it's new. And sometimes you're singing it and you feel like you're supposed to be, you know, delivering it to the people, but you get caught up in it. Hmm. And sometimes you get choked up, you know, or you might you might get choked up or something and that's okay. It's just so 
amazing. You can't even explain music. Like, how can you explain that? Like how God uses this and uses the, the, the message in it. So, no, I love it. I do too. And I, you can't explain music. You're right. One of my favorite stories from the Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis and Aslan happens in The Magician's Nephew, where Aslan sings creation into being. There, there's a power in music that, mm-hmm. that can represent the kingdom in ways, again, that the spoken word just simply can't. And some of that power in the music of this song, again, the song is Tree and Nails. We're chatting with Billy Ballinger, singer-songwriter this morning. Some of what's in this song, Billy, is right out of your life story. You referenced it, and then let's talk about that now. In terms of some of your background as a child, you experienced some pretty significant bullying. I know bullying has really uh, exponentially grown, especially with social media and, and how kids treat one another. But uh, that was part of your early backstory. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because some people tend to downplay it, you know, because they think, well, everybody goes through that. I'm going to tell you, from my experience being face to face with 330,000 young people within the public school systems and to hear their stories, it is a real subject matter. It and is. then the fact that the fact that I actually experienced it. And I can tell now that I'm a Christian, now that that, that I have uh, chose to be a follower of Jesus Christ and believer in him, I look back now and, okay, I see how the enemy, you know, there's an enemy of our soul, was using this separation, this rejection that I was experiencing in elementary, middle school, and high school. And, I mean, being chased home from school, uh, the laughing stock at school, made fun of, story, you know, the whole, the whole shebang. But it wasn't little bits and pieces that people say every kid goes through. I look back at that and go, no, I knew something was not, not right. It was an ever, it seemed like an everyday occurrence. It, it just was a lot of heartache. Uh, didn't have any peace. I was always trying to find peace and I was trying to find community. You know, God made us to fellowship together and have friends and love between one another. I didn't, I didn't realize that I was looking for it and wasn't finding it. You know, and so it just like we would move to a different town and I would look, I would just be looking forward to this new town because I'd be thinking they don't know me there. It's a new start in a new school. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, you start you start pointing the finger at yourself. Something's wrong with me because I'm just not getting along. Uh, Nobody wants to talk to me. I'm like, you know, the I stand out in, in the wrong way in a crowd. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I don't think we often consider the the deep impact of bullying. We know it exists, but boy, for young kids, especially when they don't have the armor of the heart that's that's built up and they're pretty open and pretty vulnerable, those arrows go really deep and cause a lot of wounds that can then really determine some of the next steps of our journey as well and, and cre- create a bit of havoc in our lives moving forward. And when we come back from a break, Billy... I know you shared your story moving from that place of bullying, then ultimately finding yourself in a, in a partying lifestyle as well as some drug abuse and ultimately prison. And, and what a, a crazy uh, experience to have God redeem all of that. It's such a, a heartwarming story, but it's a difficult story. And to your point, we all have these backstories, but God is in the business of, of coming and rescuing us from that. So when we come back in just a moment, more with Billy Ballinger, and we'll talk a little bit about that part of the backstory. If you have not heard the song Tree and the Nails, go ahead and look that up. Watch the YouTube video. Listen to it. It's a fabulous story written by singer-songwriter Billy Ballinger about the wonder of the cross and what Jesus did for us and all of our backstories and, and the amazing grace that continues to redeem us day in 
and day out. And Billy, we talking a little bit about your own backstory from that place of bullying as a child. It, it led you on a, on a journey and the steps along the way were, were not terribly healthy steps. I think many of us can be are familiar with that. And for you in particular, it led to some pretty devastating realities by the time you're 18, 19, 20 years old. So take us into that just a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, as a young person, and many people have dealt with this, uh, some people probably dealt with it and didn't realize that was what was going on. But in my case, I was searching for my identity, you know, just trying to find uh, who I was, where I belonged and trying to find community. And again, I wasn't finding it growing up. It just wasn't that it wasn't to be found for me. Very, very down lifestyle. Anyway, I, you know, by the time I'm hitting 17 years old, uh, 16, 17, I get incarcerated in a juvenile correctional facility for running away. I'd run from here to there to there. Finally put on probation, sentenced to uh, 15 months in a juvenile correctional facility. But thank God it was a Christian facility in Indiana. And they planted a lot of seeds in my life. In fact, just a few days ago, I was there speaking, had an opportunity to share with the students there again. But I would just say this, while I was searching for identity, I didn't know where to look in the right places, you know, and so though they planted good seeds in me, when I got out of there, I began to make some, you know, more bad. I had met a, I had met a young lady in there. We had fell in love, you know, and, and we truly were in love. But she was from a different county. So I missed her. And at age 17, I ran away, went to her town, and she was raised wild. So her family just literally let me move into the home. And I did. But she came from a crowd that I used to run from in the schools. She came from that crowd that used to bully kids like me when I was in school. So I don't know, something snapped in me one day when I was 17 years old. I think all that buildup of being rejected and beat up all the time and everything. And I started becoming like the lifestyle she was from and her friends became my friends. And I started having a reputation in the town in Muncie, Indiana. And I became very, very violent. And when I became violent, I noticed it got me attention, the attention I didn't have as a little kid. And I noticed it. And I tell it just like it is now. I'm very transparent about this. When somebody would talk about how crazy I became or how crazy I was, it fed my ego so much. I never experienced people talking about me like that, people patting me on the back, thinking I was this or thinking I was that. I hadn't experienced that. I thought it was success. And it was not success. It led to a you know, we get married really young. Our daughter's born. And next thing is my house becomes the party house. I'm selling, I'm, I'm selling drugs, I'm violent. And then my house gets raided by a SWAT team, fully dressed in black from head to toe, black ski mask, black 12 gauge pump shotguns. They arrest me, my wife, and take my little baby girl away from me. So yeah, it's a, a, cra- a crazy situation, but that's where I ended up. Man, Billy, so take us into those moments when the SWAT team showed up. I mean, what happened in your mind and in your heart at this moment, and and wow. even just the ensuing thirty minutes when you describe what's going on? What what is that situation like? Oh, you you think you know? I don't know. You just think that uh, nobody knows what you're doing. It was that's kind of what I thought at the moment. I thought, wow, they really knew what was happening. As they're raiding my house, I'm thinking to myself. These guys are more in tune than what I think they are, you know, and (laughs) Mm -hmm. nothing was funny about that day. I mean, obviously, you know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, The only thing I will say, though, is many people have heard my story. know I was literally in the bathtub when they raided my house. So I jumped up out of the water, threw my pants on. My bathroom door comes flying open. I think it's drug dealers coming down. But I knew it was the police once I heard them say, take cover. When I heard that, I thought there's no drug dealer going to say that. So uh, 
12 gauge pump shotgun goes up against my head. And here's what I'm thinking. If I had any hope about succeeding, uh, having any type of a vision or future or making money, even, you know, living a wild life, it all just went out the window. It was now just hit the hopelessness of hopelessness at that moment. They literally read me my rights, um, you know, cuffed me, read me my rights, took me out on the front porch. I watched my entire street be blocked off with vans and there was police around the corners with guns and they they raided my next door neighbor while I stood on the front porch and watched it. Uh, then I watched them walk up and take my daughter out of my wife's arms. And, you know, they should have. They should have because mm-hmm. I had a flow of known felons in and out of my home. We loved my daughter. I was age 19. My wife was 18. We were just being really stupid. And we had dangerous people around us and around her. And of course, me, her daddy was violent, you know, yeah. so not with her, but with people. And so, but at the same time, they did what they did. They put her into the CHINS program in Indiana, that's children in need of services. So um, later they finally just ruled that the reason that they took her was because we had a flow of known felons coming in and out of the home. But, you know, as I stood on that front porch on that Monday afternoon, uh, I looked out on the street. It was rainy, cloudy, nasty day. I'm just standing there in cuffs. I'm wet. I got these blue jean cutoff shorts on, long stringy hair. I got no control of my life anymore. I've hit rock bottom right then at that moment. So it's it's just hopelessness. Yeah, it is. Incredible story, Billy. And now it's sentenced to six years in prison and, and uh, having to, to walk out that prayer life. At what point... Did something begin to change in your life? Where where did that happen? Where you went from, I'm going to take pride in my anger and my sense of identity that comes from that to maybe in an entirely different way of life? It's often brokenness, right, that gets us to that point. But where did that happen for you? I would call that coming back to God. I mean, running back to God. Because I had, at one point when I was 10 years old, experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody at a fire station for a bunch of us little kids pulled out the fire trucks set up a stage and chairs inside of a fire station. Now, what little kid is not going to go to that? (laughs) (laughs) And they they sit there, and then they got up on the stage. And all I can remember is this man getting up on the stage and talking about Jesus. And I I almost, I I guess, I feel like I felt the Holy Spirit. You know, I I just, I knew God was real at that moment. So I had asked Jesus into my heart when I was a little kid, but I ran from him. You know, he's like the prodigal son. I didn't have any Bible, any weapons from the Bible to teach me how to live and be victorious, you know, and be a warrior for Christ. I didn't know none of that stuff. So this is what happened when I got arrested. You know what I did? I I cried out to God. I mean, I talked to inmates about this. I've done seminars in prisons where I'll say, hey, look, come on, let's face it. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, when I was in prison, I would take that wool blanket that they give me. I'd cover my head and cry like a baby because I was in this place. And, but, but here's what I started doing. I started crying out to God. I said, will you help me? I missed my wife, Jody. I missed my daughter. I wanted my life back. I started immediately thinking if I could put all this in reverse, I wouldn't break the law. I wouldn't do these things. Uh, you know, and, and that's what I was talking to God about, but I'm going to tell you every single prison, because I got transferred from several different prisons over the time I was incarcerated, every single prison I went to, God had somebody there that knew him. And they saw in me this young kid who was hungry for God's help. And I started searching after God, and these people mentored me. Uh, one guy was a six foot five black brother. He at one time had been like the, the baddest dude in the whole prison. He became a born again Christian. He's in heaven now, but he became my mentor 
and uh, just really mentored me and taught me about the Lord. And he began to give me scriptures and told me, look, if you will pray these scriptures, talk to God, pray, God will answer you. God cares about your family. God cares, you know, and, and I will say this right before I went to prison, somebody witnessed to me again while I was out on bond. And that became very crucial witness to me and my wife invited us to church. So I will say that it, we did start going to church a few weeks before we went to prison Mm. and, uh, and rededicated our lives in that church service. And my wife was baptized the night before we went to trial. You know, then we go to trial and then go to prison. And then Jesus just takes over my life and changes it, bro. Uh, Billy, I have a thousand more questions to ask you. I would love to have you join us again here this morning. It's incredible witness that you're bearing. I really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks, brother. Yeah, you you too. Up against a hard break here. So we'll take a short break and then come back and wrap up this morning. Thanks, Billy, for joining us. God bless. Boy, did I hate having to cut off that interview with Billy Ballinger. Wow, does he have a story to tell and a a faith authenticity that is worth hearing about again. The song that he has, The Tree and the Nails, go ahead and look that up. Uh, Had such a great time with all of you again these last three days. The kingdom is real. Jesus reigns. We are part of something bigger and more beautiful than we can ever imagine. I will catch you again soon here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.